Psalm 142 this morning. Psalm 142. I want to speak to you about loneliness this morning. Now, loneliness is something that affects all of us at different times in our lives. <clears throat> it affects married people. It affects single people. It affects young and old. Uh, it affects everybody from time to time. Psalm 142, though. Somebody suggested that perhaps the reason God created us in the first place was because he was lonely. Now, I don't know that you could back that up scripturally. Uh, but certainly, uh, God is a communicative God, right? <clears throat> that God wants to communicate, that God wants to have fellowship. Uh, he longs for our fellowship. Uh, and, and perhaps there's something to that. Adam was certainly lonely uh, in Genesis 2.18, having named all the animals there was not a helpmeet found for him. There was no suitable partner for him. He, he was definitely lonely. Um, <clears throat> Moses was lonely in Exodus 33, verse 12. Um, he was um, uh, leading the people of Israel. And he had all these people around him. He had helpers. He was married. He had family. But he was lonely. He was desperately lonely in Exodus uh, 33. Uh, the Lord Jesus was lonely in the garden. You know, he went to the garden and he faced all that the garden meant and all that the cross meant. And it's one of the loneliest pictures that you can, you can picture. He, he was lonely there. And, and as we look at Psalm 142, we, we find in David's life a very lonely moment. We find in his life just this moment when he's cut off from everybody. The background to the psalm is that he's on the run from Saul. He's in, probably in the cave in Gedi. And uh, he's on the run from Saul, and he's a dangerous man to have for a friend because Saul tends to kill all these friends if he gets a chance. So, you know, that would kind of affect your friendships, you know? If being friends with you meant that people might be murdered, that would somewhat affect your friendships. That would somewhat affect people's uh, desire to be identified with you and to be around you. That would be a moment of glory, obviously, for your enemies. They would think terrific. Uh, he's getting what he deserves. And um, it, it would be a very lonely moment. And it was for David. Now let's read through the psalm and then we'll go through it, okay? <clears throat> in, in verse 1, he says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Let's pray. Father, would you bless us as we look to your word today, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, in this day, in 2012, uh, to let the truth of your word apply to us, Lord. And, 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 Lord, may we embrace it. And, Lord, may it help us, Lord, and encourage our hearts and draw us to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so he says there, he says um, that no man would know me. Uh, no man cared for my soul. Refuge failed me. That's, that's an awful picture. You get the picture that David is kind of running from place to place, at least in his heart, and um, all the doors are closed to him. Nobody wants to know him. Nobody wants to 
be with this guy who's on the run from Saul, who is, uh, <clears throat> you know, a, a demonically inspired maniac by this point. Nobody wants to be around David, and, and all doors are closed. Refuge failed him. And refuge has the idea of a safe place. It's the idea of running somewhere, going in, closing the, the door behind you, and feeling, I'm safe now. What David is saying is there was no refuge for him. There was no place that he could go for him. And the hardest thing of all, what, ha- what happened, what fell out in this whole thing, was no man cared for my soul. Nobody, nobody cared about him. Nobody cared about David. Nobody really cared what was going on with him. He was dangerous, and, and they didn't care. They just didn't care what was going on to him. Now, David was alone. He was completely cut off. He was on his own. He may have had people around him at the time, but he knew. He was on his own. He was cut off. Uh, he was alone. Have you been there on the end of the peninsula? You feel like no one wants to know. You feel like you have nowhere to go. You feel like no one cares about you. Haven't you been there? Isn't that the essence of loneliness when it kicks in? Like nobody really knows and cares. Nobody really understands and cares. Now, now, now why don't people care? Well, <clears throat> the truth is, that people don't care sometimes because they don't know. They genuinely don't know. They don't understand what's going on here. And, and you have to bear at least part of the blame in that because, you know what, we don't like telling them, do we? We don't like letting, letting people know, you know, when we feel like there's no one cares, when we're out there. We, we don't like being that transparent and showing uh, the fact that we're hurting. And you know what? <clears throat> this is an important truth for you to remember. Nobody around you is a mind reader. They might think they are. <laughs> But they're really not. They can't read your mind unless you tell them. They don't know. They don't know. They don't understand. And, you know, sometimes people just don't know that you're hurting. And you can, ter- you can feel terribly alone just because nobody knows that you're hurting. And if people were to know that you're hurting, you know what? That, that would change it for them completely. Sometimes people uh, don't care because they're hurting themselves. You know, and listen, that's so true for us. You know, our own pain tends to dominate in our lives. And we don't know when somebody else is hurting because we're caught up in it. We're hurting. The knife has gone deep for us in some area, and we don't notice what's going on with somebody else. Uh, Sometimes they they don't know because they just don't understand. You know, they don't understand what's going on in your life. And here's one that you've got to reckon on to. Sometimes they don't know because God's not letting them know. Sometimes they don't care because God has shut you off to himself. Folks, loneliness is such a common deal, uh, even in the church, even amongst Christians. You know, it's, it's a common thing in marriage. It's a common thing in the bosom of a family. It's a common thing, you know, it, um, amongst our friends. It's a common thing for us to be lonely. Listen, there's a God element in it. There's God doing something in it. Uh, there's God working in your life. And you've got to understand that sometimes God separates you off for himself. David's on the run from Saul. He's no place of refuge. Uh, and nobody cares about his soul. Uh, you know, the things are bad. Things are dreadful. But, you know, that's where God wanted David. God wanted David in that place. Now, you think about it for a second. Well, why would God do that to him? Why wouldn't God leave him with some friend in, in, in that hard spot, in that difficult place? And you know the answer? Because God wanted to be his friend. Because God wanted to, to, to meet with David. Now, David has flaws. He's not a perfect man, but he has some real great strengths. David's a good guy for talking to himself. 
When you see David in the Psalms, oftentimes he lays out the problem, and then what he does, he gives himself talking to him. And he changes the problem for himself. He deals with it uh, and changes it for himself. And that's what he does here in Psalm 142. He, he is in the depths of despairing loneliness. And then he gives himself a talking to him. He turns the whole situation around. Now, <clears throat> look um, <clears throat> in verse 5. He says, I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Now, let me tell you what David's not talking about. He's not talking about this warm, woozy feeling that came over him that made him feel, you know what? God is my refuge. God is my portion. He's not talking about a warm, woozy feeling at all. He's talking about a declaration of truth. That's faith. He is declaring, David is declaring to David what the truth is. No man cares for my soul. That's a lie. God does. That's not the truth. God cares for my soul. And the lonelier we get, the more, the more real our relationship with God can become. But it doesn't happen automatically. You don't suddenly, in the depths of your loneliness, feel inspired to draw near to the Lord. You have to decide to. You have to decide that that's what's right. You see, what David is saying is, Lord, you're my refuge. You know, the Bible calls God a strong tower. What's a tower? A tower is a place of refuge. Uh, we're, we're supposed to run to the tower. What does it mean? It means you're supposed to run to the place of refuge. That you're supposed to run to the place where you can draw yourself up into his arms effectively and you can be safe in him. That's what it's talking about. That's what David knows to be truth. But it doesn't happen automatically. You see, listen... <clears throat> You could be in a battle in the olden days and you could be, you know, within the, the distance from here to the wall of the tower. But if you didn't go there, the arrows would still kill you. You've got to decide, listen, he is my refuge. And I, I honestly think, I know in my own life, that oftentimes what he's doing is he's cutting you off to himself. Why does he have to cut us off to himself? Because we wouldn't go otherwise. As long as we can find human refuge, we'll take human refuge. We'll take it with skin on any day. But what God does is God puts you in a place where he puts you in a place where you're running to him. Because that's what he wants from you. You see, if you can look at loneliness from, from the perspective that David is looking at it here, it changes its character. You see, listen, Saul was out to kill David. That was all he wanted. He just wanted to kill him. Right? Now, God was letting it happen. God was letting David go down. Why was God letting David go down? Because he wanted to make him. Because he wanted to take and make this man. And David could not be made apart from a sterling relationship with God. David couldn't be made the man God wanted him to be. God had tried it with Saul. Saul was a, was a washout because when it came to the choice, God, you know, Saul chose the people over God. And God was going to make sure that didn't happen again with this guy. And he was going to make sure that in David's life, he, God, was the refuge. He, God, was the one that David looked to. And I, I love the way David puts this in, in the verse. He says, <clears throat> um, I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion. Not in heaven. I'm going to heaven. Bless God, when it's all over and all the fighting and all the battle's over, I'm going to heaven. No, he doesn't say that. He says, you are my refuge and my portion 
now. Listen, folks, I'm going to heaven. You're going to heaven if you're, if you're saved by, by faith in Jesus Christ. That, that's a wonderful thing. But do you know that God is the God of the living? God is the God of now. God wants to be involved in your life now. He doesn't want to suddenly get involved in your life the day you die. He actually wants to be involved now. He doesn't want to all of a sudden start meeting your needs when you go to heaven. He doesn't want to all of a sudden start making life right for you when you go to heaven. He's the God of now. He wants to be involved in your life today. David said uh, that uh, in the land of the living, that David's portion, that's an interesting thought, by the way, that God was his portion. You know, at this stage, David was an outlaw. You know what an, an outlaw has? Nothing. Because anything he had was fair game to be taken. You know, David had nothing. He'd forfeited all to, um, uh, to, to Saul. Saul had, had it all now, and David had nothing. Even David's family he had to send out of the country for safety from Saul. You know, so, so he's, he's in a bad place. He's got nothing, and he says, God, you're my refuge, and you're my portion. You're what's going to sustain me. Do you know the, the, the Levites in the Old Testament, when they were dividing up the land, God didn't give them a portion. All the tribes got a portion of land, and the portion of land really was their means of sustenance. Right? And the portion of land was so they're going to go grow their crops, they were going to grow their grapes, they were going to have their cattle, they were going to, you know, that's what they were going to live off. Everybody got a piece of land to live off, and the Levites got nothing. They got houses to live in, in somebody else's land. Now, what was God doing? God was saying this, listen, you're my priests. I'm your portion. I will take care of you. And I want you to think for a second. If God said, I'll give you a piece of land where you can grow your own food or I can take care of you, which would you choose? It's a hard choice, isn't it? <laughs> you know, well, I'd kind of like to be able to see it. I'd kind of like to be able to see the, see the, see the, see the land that I'm, going, that I'm going to actually plow and where it's going to produce my food. It'd be a hard choice to make, wouldn't it? Now, on the other hand, you know that if God said he's going to take care of you, he's going to take care of you. In the drought, it doesn't matter. God's going to take care of you if he's your portion. You know, <clears throat> David is saying, you're my portion, Lord. David's always going to remember that somewhere in his heart. He's my portion. Dave, God's going to make David very rich. God's going to make David a king with lands and with uh, possessions and with chariots and, you know, <clears throat> with, with a very big family. God, God, God's going to make David a great man. But God wants David to know, David, I'm your portion. I'm the one that takes care of you, David. And you know when you learn that God is your portion? When you have nothing else. When you have no other way forward. And I'm not sure we can learn that apart from that. I'm not sure that we can learn that God is our portion when we're able to look after ourselves. Listen, give, him, give a man a piece of land and if he's Worth his salt, he's going to do everything he can to feed himself off that. He's going to work hard to feed himself off that. But when you take a man, take away the piece of land from him, when you take away everything and he has to look into the face of God and depend upon God, that's when he learns, hey, he can do it. I've seen God take care of me marvelously. But you know what? There were times when I couldn't take care of myself. You've seen it too. And yet, we resent so deeply those times when the knife goes in. Those times when we're made to feel lonely. Those times when we're made to feel, you know, this is not working. No man cares for my soul. Refuge fails me. But listen, God's at work. God's doing something in your life. God's bringing you to the place where He is your refuge. 
You know, well, listen, folks. Everybody wants someone with skin on to be their refuge. That's just reality. That's just who you are. That's just the, the, the way you're made. But you know what? Everybody with skin on ultimately fails you. Because they're just like you. They're just like you. They have a sin nature. They get it wrong. Everybody with skin on is eventually going to fail you. That's just the reality. You, you can't have it that people with skin on you treat you perfectly. Do you know sometimes we expect people to be God, don't we? Sometimes a wife expects her husband to treat her just perfectly all the time. and That's God's job. That's not your husband's job. By the way, God didn't put your husband into your life uh, to make your life just work perfectly. Part of the reason why God put your husband into your life was to make you look to him. You know, listen, the same uh, thing for husbands. Husbands expect their wives to to treat them perfectly. You know what? Listen, if you had a two-year-old and you gave a two-year-old everything they wanted, what do they become? A monster. Right? If you had a man and you gave him everything he wanted all the time, He'd become a monster. Might take a little while longer, uh, but he'd become a monster. God doesn't do that in your life. God knows what we're like. God knows that we can't handle it. So what he does is he works in us life and he, in our lives, and he works in our lives through situations, through people. Uh, and we need to understand. Listen, when God is cutting you off from other avenues, what he's saying to you is, "Listen, I'm here. I am here for you." Uh, what you need is you need me. So the first thing you need to do when you feel like you're on your own, like you're completely alone, like no man cares for your soul, is realize it's not true. One greater than any man could ever be cares for your soul. One who knows you better, all your flaws and everything else, still cares. So you've got to give yourself a talking to him. Second thing is you need to take your complaint to him. Look what David did. In verse 2. And I love the words here in the King James. They're so descriptive. He says, I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. What did David do? David went and he sat down with God and he just, he listened, he let him have it all. He told him the whole lot, every bit of it, all, all the things that were troubling, all the things that were hurting him, all the things that were a bother to him and a problem to him. He poured out the whole lot to God. See what it says in the next verse. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me. What's he talking about? He couldn't get a grip. The, the, the thing was so hard and so difficult that he couldn't get a grip. That Listen, it was just, it, he was falling apart with it. His spirit was overwhelmed within him. He poured it all out before God. And he says, then thou knewest my path. God, you were there. You were there even when I was overwhelmed. Even when it was all too much for me. Even when it was coming in over my head. Now listen, folks. There are several different kinds of prayer. There's, there's intercessory prayer where you pray for others. You know, there's, there's just prayer where you're asking for things. And there's a prayer when you're just communicating and you're telling God all that's going on in your heart. And you need that one. You need to tell God what's going on uh, in your heart. You know, <clears throat> um, God takes and uses... The loneliness to help us grow deeper if we'll let him. But you know what's very easy to do when, you, when the knife goes in and you feel like you're cut off from everybody? It's very, easy. it's very easy for you to say, nobody cares. Not even God. And you go into a pity party. And a pity party is a bit like a plane in a tailspin. 
you ever see you know the old the old the old um, World War II films where the, where the plane goes into a tailspin? Listen, it's going down. I mean, it's just out of control now. It's going down. And your pity parties that you let yourself get into, listen, they take you down, don't they? Now, and listen, the pity party is not something God puts on you. God may definitely have put the loneliness into your life for a reason, but he doesn't put the pity party onto you. The pity party is something that you take on board. The, the pity party is you taking it a step further than God wanted it to go. The, the pity party is you yielding to the seduction of the enemy when he says to you, poor you, nobody cares. You poor thing. And you agree with them, don't you? You say, yeah, you're right, but the tears beginning to run down your face. N- nobody really cares. You know? and, and what you do is you go with him and you let him take you down in the pity party. And I'll tell you what, it's hard to get out of a pity party, isn't it? I mean, listen, you give in to that and you start going down with that. It is hard for you to get out of it. Listen, you rapidly you find yourself going down in it. And you can get real bitter in your pity party. And, and nobody cares, not even God. Listen, you've got to snap out of that one. That's a lie. That's a lie the enemy gave you when you were in maybe a weak moment and you bit into it. Just like Eve bit into the apple, you bit into the, into the idea that, listen, nobody cares, not even God. You can tell him what's going on. He delights to hear. When all the other doors are closed, his is open for business. He's there. His arms are, are ready to receive you. When all the other, uh, other doors are saying, listen, there's no way forward for you. Listen, God is there. He's ready to help. He wants to help if you will let him help you. But so often what happens is God works in our lives, works us into a place where we're feeling lonely and the doors are closed off to us and what we do is we say, nobody cares, not even God. And we've been so full of self-pity that, listen, we're a destruction to ourselves. Somebody does care. Jesus cares. There's never been a day that he didn't care for you. When he died on the cross, that was the ultimate the, the absolute declaration of love for you, though you didn't deserve it, and you, so you can never lose it. Listen, he loves you. So no matter how bad it gets, there's always one that cares. And David caught it right. He said, no man cared for my soul. But you know what? God did. And he went to God with it. He went to God, and he looked, and he looked to God. Now, <clears throat> remember this, that God promises to supply all your needs. And David is not in this pity party thinking, you know, this is the end of it all. Just here I am in this cave. We're all going to die. We're going down. You know, that, that's where the pity party would have led him to. But that's not what David is saying. See, see what else David is saying to us here in the psalm. <clears throat> Verse 6, I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Verse 6 Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. What's he doing? He's asking God to do something in his life. And do you think he's asking God, expecting him to do it? You can be sure. He's expecting that God's going to do it. He's expecting the goodness of God to operate in his life. That's the basis of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. David's in a cave. Saul's on the, uh, on the rampage. Saul is looking for first sight of him. He'll pay any price. Uh, he'll do anything it takes to kill David. And um, David's 
humanly speaking, bound to die. David's definitely got a terminal illness here. He's got Saul on his case. But you know what David is saying? Lord, you deliver me. And he's expecting God to deliver him. Basic faith says, God will deliver me. God will take care of me. God will look after me. Now, don't find God and tell him how he's supposed to look after you. We get that one wrong. But God promises he will look after you. He will take care of you. He won't leave you uh, in in the pickle. I I love what the boys said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were going to be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. They, they, They said this. They said, okay, we're not going to do it. And we're not really worried. Because our God can deliver us from your burning, fiery furnace. And even if he doesn't, he'll deliver us from you. <clears throat> so what they're saying is, it doesn't matter what happens, our God's going to take care of us. That's faith. That's actually basic faith. It doesn't matter what happens, God's going to take care of me. It doesn't matter what happens, God's going to look after me. That's the basis of faith. Listen, you build from there in your faith, but you've got to come to that place in your life where, look, it doesn't matter, God's going to take care of me. God's going to look after me. I don't know how this is all going to work out, but it's going to work out good because God's going to look after me. God's going to take care of me. And that's the basis of faith. That's always the place where we need to come to as far as faith is concerned. Um, <clears throat> all right, but, but <clears throat> he goes on. He says, Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Now, what's David saying there? What's David's problem? No man cared for my soul. All doors are shut to me. There's no refuge. Nobody wants to know me. But you know what? There's another day coming. There's a day coming when the righteous will compass me about, when I'll have lots of friends. There's a day coming when there'll be lots of doors open to me. There's a day coming when the situation is going to be completely different. And it did come. There came a day when David was king. There came a day when David was the toast of Israel. There came a day when he knew blessing and he knew godly people seeking him out. There came a day when everything was totally different from David. He was for David. He was right. Now listen, when you're in that place and you're lonely and you're despairing, understand this. That's not the end of the story. That's never the end of the story. Listen, what can happen though is you can get into your pity party and you can get depressed and you can start going down. And you know what? It's going to feel very much like it's the end of the story. It's going to feel to you very much like, you know what? Uh, Listen, your life is going in the wrong direction. It's always in the wrong direction. And and listen, it's going down. But you know, the truth is that if you let God, he's going to bring a better day into your life always. Always. Listen, if if he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek seek him, do you think that you have to see the rewards at some stage? Of course you do. It can't be he's a reward. I've never seen them. I don't know anything about them, but I'm sure they're there. No, the rewards have got to be real. They've got to have... And by the way, it's not just talking about eternal rewards. That's a big part of it. But it's talking about here and now rewards. My God wants to meet my need in the here and now. And here's David in a cave. It's dark. He's praying quietly because he's afraid of Saul. There's nobody that cares for him. But David is saying, there's going to be a better day. There's going to be a better day. God is going to surround me with the righteous. There's going to be a better day. Now listen, I don't believe in the power of positive thinking. But you know what? Thinking right helps. Thinking right actually helps you step into right places. It's, it's a reality. 
You know, it's just the reality of life. When you're thinking wrong, you, you, you tend to embrace all the problems that are wrong, don't you? Nobody cares. Right? So you treat people different when you know they don't care, don't you? You know, you don't treat them in a way that will make them want to care. <clears throat> Let's put it that way. You, you, you tend to treat them. You know, you know, Naomi, Naomi goes back and she's, you know, she's been down to, um, <clears throat> You know, and lost her husband and lost her two sons. And she comes back and they throw a party in Bethlehem 4. And everybody's excited. It's Naomi. She's come back. Let's have a party. And Naomi just blows the party. She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Bitter, because God has dealt very bitterly with me. You know what? I don't think there were too many people hanging around for the party after that. I think, you know, that was the end of the party. I think they were wishing Naomi would go somewhere else so that they could get on with life and enjoying life. And listen, that's what you do. When you get into the pity party, when you go the wrong direction. But you know, when you reckon on the reality of, God's going to take care of me. God loves me and he's going to take care of me. You treat people differently. And when you treat people differently, they respond to you differently. Look, you see, what you got to do is you've got to come to the place. Listen, <clears throat> God wants to work in your life and God wants to deal with you and God wants to make something of you. Remember that, that, that his plan is, is, is not just for you to live your life and to, and to pass out of this world, you know, uh, the same as you came into it. You know, bless God, I'm hanging on till the end. You know, th- that's not God's plan for your life. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Listen, if... He's going to put his name on you as a workmanship. The, 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 the word in the Greek actually gives you the idea of poem. It's poema. That you're his work. That he's doing something in you. He's got a stake in your life. Listen, if, if, if you wrote a poem, you, you'd want that poem to be the best poem it could possibly be because you know what? The poem says something about you. You know, I, I can throw out the names of poets and you'll remember, you'll, you'll know the poets because, you know, <clears throat> you, you've read their poetry. And, and, you know, listen, God wants your life to be a life that looks like something. God has no plan for you to spend your 70-odd years in this world in grim determination, hanging on till the end. God plans for you to be blessed and to be a blessing, and for people to look at your life and say, see? And do you know the principal problem, the principal thing that gets in the way of that? You're going to say the devil, aren't you? Because it's always lovely to blame somebody else. Now, he'll help. Because <clears throat> he has a plan for your life, too, and it's not going where God wants it to go. Let me tell you that. But you know what? The devil can never did anything to anyone that they didn't let him do. Never. You, you, you watch the accounts of where Satan deals with people in the scripture and he can't touch them apart from them saying, yeah, they have to give in. Listen, the devil did a lot to, to Job, but you know, he didn't touch him. He didn't touch him. Now, listen, Job did, did get kind of bitter, but that was Job. That wasn't the devil. Job, Job could go through that day and say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that wasn't wishful thinking. That was what he believed. That was truth to him. You know, when it came to Eve, Eve had to decide to take the apple. Because God wouldn't suffer Satan to make her do it. 
Satan never made you do anything. Stop blaming the problems in your life on the enemy. Let me tell you, stop blaming the problems in your life on your family. Listen, I realize some get good families and some get tough families. Some, listen, some get <clears throat> a better lot than others do. But you know, you can't go on all your life blaming your past for where you are today. Do you know that when you stepped into Jesus Christ, you got a whole new past? You got eternal life. Do you know that eternal life goes both ways? Eternal life goes back as far as eternity, and eternal life goes as far forward as eternity. Now, you didn't exist back as far as eternity. You know what happened? When you got eternal life, you got put into his life. You got his past. You got his history as well. And you know what? I think his history dominates your history, don't you think? I think his history and the, and, and the eternal life he's given you, I think that overcomes the problems in your, in your past. Why are you still hugging your chains? Why are you still holding on to the things that happened in your past? Listen, you need to shake them off. Because God's got a new plan for your life. You don't have to live in the past anymore. You have to live in this new life that you've stepped into. I'm absolutely convinced that when Jesus Christ saved you, he has a glorious picture of what he wants to do with your life. He has a picture that if you saw it, you'd probably say, no, never. But yeah, he has a picture like that. He has a picture of how he wants to change you and what he wants to do with you and what he wants to uh, do through you in your life. And you know what limits it? You. You can limit it. And ultimately, only you. You can limit it by disobedience. No, I won't. And you know what? Just in the same way as God won't let the devil force your will, he won't force your will either. He'll say, well, okay, if you won't do it, you won't do it. God's not going to make you like Jesus against your will. You're going to have to let him. You can do it by disobedience. That'll limit what God wants to do in your life. You can do it by unbelief. You can do it because <clears throat> you won't come to the place where you trust that what God said he will do, he's going to do. Right? <clears throat> You're a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Is that true? Is that just a Bible verse you read somewhere? Is that true? Okay, listen. If that's true, can't you park on it? I'm a new creature. I am a new... I'm not the old guy. I'm not the old woman. I, I, I'm a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You say, well, I've been saved for quite some time and it hasn't been all that new since. But look, listen, that's because you haven't claimed the truth of it. But if you will take the truth and make the truth, apply the truth to your heart and say, Lord, this is who I am now because you've taken and you've changed me, you can be different. You can be completely different. You see, God has a plan for your life. It's a good plan. He has a plan to work out something in your life that's going to make you his poem, his workmanship, dare I say it, his masterpiece. Not, not your masterpiece, his masterpiece. So you've got to get over thinking that, well, all you can be is what you are. And you've got to come to the place where you start thinking, now, hang on a minute. He's pretty, he's pretty amazing. He, he, he does amazing things. I, I wonder what he wants to do with me. 
Because if you let him, he'll do exciting things in your life. Did you ever look around creation? We're talking about this in the, in the men's Sunday. Did you ever look around creation and see the wonderful things God's done? I, I honestly think a lot of it was just because he could do it. Just because, listen, that would show people how wonderful he was. Creation is, is overloaded. It's not a functional deal. It functions incredibly. But he didn't do it to be a functional deal. You, you didn't have to have the rays of the sun diffused in the sunrise uh, and it be so beautiful. The sun could have just come up, boom, in the morning. You know, you didn't have to have all these wonderful changing seasons with all their colors. You didn't have to have the breathtaking uh, creatures in the sea and, and, and the beauties of, uh, of the animal kingdom. You didn't, you didn't have to have those things. God just did those because he could do it. Because, you know, when God does something, he does it right. And when he, when you were saved, when you were born again and he made you a new creature, the plan is to do it right. The plan is to go all the way with this thing. The plan is to make you something spectacular. The plan is that you should be to the praise of his glory. That people would look at you and they would go, wow. You know what? I think that's all good. Some of it may hurt. Some of it may cause me pain. Sometimes it may be like it was for David in the cave. But you know what David said? This is not it. This is just now. And he does care and he loves me and he's working something marvelous out. And David trusted in God. And you know what? It was marvelous. It was wonderful. I wonder, could you be missing some of all that God has for you today because you're being disobedient, you won't. And because you're being unbelieving, you don't believe he's going to do it. You don't believe he can do it. I wonder, could you be missing something that God wants to do in your life because of your unbelief? Listen, it may be hard. It may bring tears. But if he's doing it, it's good. And the end of it's going to be good. The end of it's always going to be good. Let's trust him. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. We do ask you, Lord, to bless. Now, Lord, would you just be with your people today? And Lord, would you help them? And Lord, as we come to a time of decision in our, in our lives, and oh, Lord, may it be that we make the right choice. Let me just give you one question. I'm not going to ask you to come forward today, but one question this morning. The Spirit of God is dealing with you, and you might say, in a certain sense, I'm in the cave this morning. In a certain sense, you know, I, I know what David's feeling today seems like it's all going wrong. It seems like there's no hope. But today, right now, I'm making a decision to make him my refuge and my portion and to trust him for better things. I'm making a decision. I'm turning it around. I'm going in a different direction. I'm making him my refuge and my portion and I'm trusting him for better things. Would you lift your hands so I can pray for you? Amen. 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 See those hands. Amen. Amen. Are there others? Amen. Amen.